You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Podcast. Hey gang, it's March 22nd. That's the day this podcast goes out. And it's also the day the It Gets Better book is going to be released. If you're hearing my voice, I'm actually in New York City today. There's going to be a reading tonight. Uh, you can find out all the details at itgetsbetter.org where the schedule for the book tour is posted. I wanted to say a couple words before we got rolling about the White House's anti-bullying conference that I was invited to uh, a couple weeks back and I attended. Never been to the White House before. It was kind of crazy. If you've ever seen one of those Rube Goldberg contraptions uh, where they move an egg through this enormous machine and it ends up go- traveling a great distance, a little raw egg, and the point of the machine is to you know take this egg and move it along and get to the end of the apparatus and not have broken or dropped the egg, going to the White House is like being that egg. Every step of the way, you're sort of passed off, handled, moved along this uh, assembly line until you're finally deposited uh, outside the White House grounds at the end of the day. It was very interesting. Um, I was happy to be invited uh, to the anti-bullying conference. Again, I've been a very vocal critic of the Obama administration on gay issues, and it is uh, very grown up of them. Uh, All the aggressive critics of the administration that were invited to the Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal signing uh, last year and now the anti-bullying conference, which included me. Anyway, I wanted to say a couple of words about uh, the bullying conference. I was a little disappointed, as uh, was reported here or there. I wasn't um, dissatisfied or angry about the conference. I thought a lot of really good and relevant points were covered. What distressed me and what I thought was a little off-key was uh, the constant hammering away. Uh, This uh, will be more relevant to people who followed the anti-bullying conference. What happened was they kept talking about parents being distressed uh, when their children are bullied, what can parents do? How do parents address this? How do parents help their children? And then toward the end of the day, it was parents and faith leaders, parents and faith leaders, parents and faith leaders. And what do they do uh, when their children are bullied? And what wasn't acknowledged uh, was that 50% of the bullying that goes on, according to studies, is anti-gay bullying in schools. And parents and faith leaders in the lives of way too many gay, lesbian, bi, trans kids are not distressed by the bullying. They are actually active participants in the bullying. And that was never acknowledged or talked about. And you really can't tackle the problem of anti-gay bullying if you're not willing to tackle that. And it was a little disappointing because the president in his It Gets Better video really did kind of address that. He looked at gay kids and he said, there is nothing wrong with you. And by implication, the president is saying there's something wrong with the people who are telling you there's something wrong with you. And that could include your parents. And also later in his video, he said to LGBT kids who were being bullied or made to feel that there was something wrong with them to look around in their lives for adults who could support them. And that might be your parents, he said, which acknowledges that it might not be your parents. Uh, And in the case of many LGBT kids out there, it isn't their parents. So it was a little weird that the president's video for It Gets Better produced last year was a little bit smarter uh, on the issue of anti-gay bullying than the president's anti-bullying conference managed to be. That said, it was important that they held the conference. I spoke to 
folks who know what they're talking about, observers. Uh, I've never been to the White House. I've never had any interaction with an administration before, uh, except for threatening Bill Clinton's life in 1992, which is a really long story. We're not going to get into it. Uh, and at that time, I had an interaction with the Secret Service. Again, a really long story about Don't Ask, Don't Tell, actually. But we're going to leave that aside. But I spoke to some people who know what they're talking about, who know how Washington works, and they assured me that what was said at the conference wasn't as important as the existence of the conference because the president and the first lady from the top all the way to the bottom administration, there were cabinet secretaries there, very important people who took part in the conference. What they were communicating was this is an issue the president gives a shit about. This is a priority bullying, including anti-gay bullying, and it must be addressed. And that's, you know, that's saying something. Anti-gay bullying, 50% of the bullying in the schools. Kids who are bullied because they're gay, lesbian, bi, trans, four times likelier to attempt suicide, eight times likelier if their families are rejecting or bullying them as well. And of the 67 anti-bullying programs that are offered to schools, anti-bullying training programs, uh, curricula for the kids... Out of that 67 I learned at the conference, only five address anti-gay bullying, despite the fact that anti-gay bullying is 50% half of the problem. Only five. So what the president and the first lady and the administration did at the anti-bullying conference was communicate to all levels, to everyone who works for and answers to the president, to the entire executive branch, don't fuck this issue up, the bullying issue. Whoever's being bullied, including gay kids being bullied. That's real progress to go to a conference at the White House to hear the president say anti-gay bullying is something he gives a shit about and wants to see changed. The first lady, cabinet secretaries, and that message was communicated. Even if you were there participating as I was or perhaps watching at home, even if you were a little dissatisfied with the ways in which the messages were hammered home or some things, uh, there were blind spots or missed opportunities. Uh, it is tremendous progress uh, and good will uh, be done and accomplished because of the White House's anti-bullying conference. And not to give a blowjob to myself or a blowjob to all of you out there listening, although I would love to be able to do that. Um, I have to be some sort of hydra-headed blowjob monster to blow all of you at once. But I think that one of the reasons this anti-bullying conference happened was because of the It Gets Better project. And the It Gets Better project happened not because of me and Terry, but because of all of you out there who spread the word, who made videos, who created the critical mass of involvement and people giving a shittedness that spurred the White House and other politicians uh, to action to take this seriously because of the groundswell, um, which the first folks who helped get that groundswell going savage love podcast listeners so thanks to all of you and uh run out there get the it gets better book at itgetsbetter.org keep the groundswell going and your calls after this this podcast is brought to you by audible.com the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than seventy-five thousand downloadable titles across all types of literature including fiction nonfiction, and periodicals for a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Okay, I have a dilemma here. I'm getting married uh, this summer. His groomsman, um, best man really, uh, is a guy who we have been friends with for as long as we've been together. And uh, he's really close to us. 
And and um, he's been dating this girl, a great girl, um, the whole time we've been together, too. Um, and so the four of us have been really good friends the whole time. We had planned for them both to come to our wedding and everything. Well, uh, just a minute ago, I got a frantic phone call from his girlfriend, the, the best man's girlfriend, um, telling me that he uh, called her in the middle of the night and confessed to her that he has been cheating on her with five different women for an entire year and lying about it for as long. And um, that he's in love with one of the women and blah, blah, blah. Um, now, what do we do? Uh, like, she she came after the guy as far as being friends with us. But obviously, we know who we side with um, in this issue. But um, <laughs> what do we do about our guest list and our wedding and stuff. She she's like, I don't think I'll be able to make it to your wedding if he if he's there and I don't know, um I don't know what to do now. I'm gonna defer to Prudence. Dear Prudence, it's late on this. You know, when there's conflict of our own invites, if you invite them I'm not coming. If you invite her, then I won't be there. If you invite him, then I won't. invite them both and let them decide if they can split the space. Uh, and if they can't, then they won't come, or one of them won't come, and your problem is solved. But you should invite them both. It puts you in an awful position, really unfair of her to even ask, for you to prune your guest list for her comfort. If she's not going to be comfortable being there with the guy that was cheating on her, that she dumped for cause, then she shouldn't have to come. But you guys have a relationship with him, cad though he may be, that predates your relationship with her, and presumably, Cad, though he may be, you're going to want him in your life going forward, Cad, though he may be. The question is, do you want him in your wedding party? If I were you, and I'm not, and my husband and I eloped, and we didn't even have to talk about any of this bullshit, he's, you know, one of your groomsmen. He's not the Pope, and he's not an angel, and he's not there because he's a model for the way your husband-to-be hopes to comport himself once married. He's there because of that relationship, because they're friends, because cad though he may be, he's going to be a part of your husband's life and perhaps be a sounding board and someone to lend him a little moral support when he's trying to remain monogamous, even though cad though he may be, he was incapable of doing the same. I do think that in your shoes, you could say to him, look, it just feels a little jinxy right now to have you in the wedding party. Please come to the wedding. Here's your invitation. Uh, you're off the hook. Who knows? Maybe he'll be relieved. You know, Not everybody who gets asked to be a groomsman or a bridesmaid is fucking delighted uh, about that. Uh, some people would rather be shit-faced and in the back row than up on the altar and uh, stone cold sober. Ultimately, you have to recognize this is not your problem recuse yourself. Tell them both. You'd like them both to be there. Tell him that you're shocked and appalled, but come to the wedding. Uh, get get hammered. Um, keep his hands off the uh, bridesmaids, if at all possible, and tell her that you'd like to see her too and you'd like her to be there, but you totally understand uh, if she doesn't want to come. There's also the elopement option. I'm just going to toss it out there. It's not too late to elope. Just elope and get married and then have a big uh, wedding reception without the actual fucking wedding. Then you don't have to have anyone stand up for you. 
Hey, Dan. I'm, I'm not your normal uh, demographic. I'm a 47-year-old man. Um, for the sake of argument, call myself straight. Um, the reason I'm calling is I've uh, been married for 20 years and basically a sexless marriage. And the solution I've found to this is I will, on occasion, um, every couple months or so, uh, go out and get blowjobs from guys. And um, it started with like a answering a Craigslist ad, and um, I'm I'm not exactly sure why. I think it's possibly because of opportunity, but um, I mean I I'm not gay, and I have nothing against uh, gay people. Uh, I'm just not physically attracted to men. Um, but I am physically attracted to oral sex, and I've been able to find guys who are willing to do blow-and-goes. And, goes. and um, if I could find a woman to do it, I would. So I guess I'm just looking for your comments, um, your ideas about what it is that's motivating me or why I'm doing this or what have you. Sometimes I listen to the calls and I have to pick myself up off the floor before I can even begin to formulate a response. I have nothing against gay people. Well, I should hope not, Mr. Blowjob Acceptor from gay people. You should be sending gay people, random gay people, yanked out of the phone, but you should be sending us flowers and chocolates. Thank you for all you do for me and my dick. Of course, you of all people should have nothing against gay people, considering what you have pressed against the collective soft palates of gay people everywhere. There's a phrase, situational homosexuality. Uh, It applies to places like prisons where that's a situation. Otherwise, straight identified men will have sex with other men uh, because they don't have a lot of other options. Pirate ships were a famous uh, situation where straight guys lacking access to women would uh, make do with each other situation. And we're going to have to add sexless marriages to that pile of situations in which straight guys will resort to whatever's handy and free. You could get blowjobs from women for sure uh, on Craigslist and and other places, but you're going to probably have to pay for them Uh, because, yeah, we won't get into the sexual economics of it all and the scarcity and the fact that For a lot of gay men, giving head is their favorite thing to do, uh, and they take a lot of pleasure from it, uh, whereas for a lot of straight women, uh, giving head is, uh, you know, I'm not going to get a million calls from the straight women who love giving head, but for a lot of straight women, giving head is something they will do to give pleasure, but it's not something they take a lot of pleasure in. So what is motivating you? Your situation, you situational homosexual, you prison inmate, pirate shipmate, and now Craigslist blowjob mate. You're in a situation, and, and, and I, I'm mostly I'm playing this call not for you, to offer you any help or not for straight guys in a similar situation, but to just let the ladies know that trade is back, that there are gay guys on various skeezball websites, not all gay guys, I am certainly not on any skeezball websites, but there are gay guys volunteering to blow your husbands if you won't blow your husbands, and there are husbands increasingly who are returning to where straight guys were kind of a century ago, kind of pre the modern gay civil rights movement, to this mindset where if I'm not the person giving the blowjob, I'm not the fag. That if I can close my eyes 
and think of pussy while this mouth is a mouth is a mouth goes down on me. Uh, then I got a blowjob out of that deal. And don't want your husband, Charles and Craigslist, looking for blowjobs? You might want to give him a blowjob every once in a while yourself. Because in the blowjob marketplace, there is now a glut of uh, volunteers for straight guys who are capable of making that leap, uh, that leap past uh, their homophobia or their hang-ups uh, all the way to the situation that you find yourself in. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is True Grit by Charles Portis, narrated by Donna Tart. You might want to hear the book that was the source of the movie that should have won the Oscar. For your free audiobook of your choice today, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 35-year-old American living in the Middle East, and I have two problems. Well, one is I'm sort of seeing this guy he's in Pakistan, and he was a virgin up until a year and a half ago, and he has no clue what he's doing in bed. Like, no idea about sex at all. Like, he believes that you just put it in, you have an orgasm, the man, and, and that's the end of it. And then you roll over and go to sleep. So I tried talking to him and tried telling him, you know, in America, women have orgasms, and this is how it works. But he doesn't seem to be open to this. He's really, really religious as well. So I, I'm thinking, okay, this is obviously a bad idea. And I, I think I should just let that go. But I don't know. There's nowhere else to have sex here. And so should I just continue like being frustrated even though I'm having sex? Or just cut that one loose? I forgot to mention a situation in which there's a lot of homosexual activity because it's kind of like a prison. And that is many countries in the Middle East where women are all kept locked up and shut away. There is a lot of homophobia, anti-gay bigotry. There are a lot of gay teenagers hanging at the ends of nooses in Iran, but there's also a lot of homosexual activity because guys don't have access to women. You are a commodity. You are valuable. You have leverage here over this guy. Now, you have to start making demands. You have to start making access to your pussy conditional upon his growth sexually. It's not enough for him to put it in you. You are going to have an orgasm too. It is about your pleasure as well. If he can't accept that, stop fucking him and tell him that's what you're going to do. Look, it's going to be my way or back to the situational homosexuality highway, I guess, with you because I'm not going to fuck you. It's not like he's just going to be able to run out, run down the streets of Oman and find some other woman. So use the power and the leverage you have over him and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start masturbating together so you can see what it looks like when a woman has an orgasm. And then I'm going to gradually teach you how to give me an orgasm using just your face or your hands or vegetables, whatever you can get at the market. And then you're going to acclimate him to 
the idea that that, that, that sex is about a, a woman's pleasure too, and he will gradually earn access uh, to your full body again. But you got to stand up for yourself. And if he freaks out because he's quote unquote religious, I like these religions where I can do whatever the fuck I want, but you're not allowed to have an orgasm. What's the name of that religion again? I haven't actually heard of that one. I've heard of no sex before marriage for everybody religions and a lot of them, but not this. You have to lie there and take this premarital sex or it's a sin if you come. Not a sin if I come. Sin if you come. Bullshit. Call him on that. Turn off the spigot and ask yourself, would you rather, you know, you say he's the only guy you can fuck. He's the only fuck around. Okay. He's a lousy fuck and you're not having any orgasms. Wouldn't you rather masturbate than fuck this lousy lay moron with his crazy ass I get to have orgasms you don't religion I would and you have to let him know that you're prepared to go without and to make him go without if he doesn't experience a sort of reformation of his religion where suddenly you get to have orgasms and pleasure too if not send his ass packing hey Dan um, I am in my late 20s, uh, right smack dab in the middle of a divorce, uh, and I started seeing a guy who was in his early 30s, also in the middle of a divorce. Uh, we both have two kids, you know, so there's some common ground there. Um, I am a bisexual lady. He knows this. Uh, he is military police, and I'm discovering pretty damn homophobic and it's really like, I don't know how I'm supposed to handle this. Um, my instinct is screaming, run, run, run for the hills. Because, you know, it's like I'm queer. Like, at least half of my friends are queer. And the shit that comes out of his face, like, I don't want to take him around my friends. Because I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to embarrass the shit out of me. He's going to open his face, and he's going to say something like, Oh, why can't boys just look like boys and girls just look like girls? And I'm going to just explode, right? But he's, like, nice otherwise, you know, treats me well. Uh, fantastic way, which primarily is what we're doing here. Like, we both stated, hey, uh, we don't really want to be in a relationship. We're both going through a divorce. We just really would like someone to, you know, spend some time with and to fuck their brains out. And so that's what we're doing. Like, so I feel, I feel guilty for indulging in sex with this person who obviously like just doesn't fucking get it. And I try to have conversations with him and try to like educate him and try to, you know, so part of me is like, if he's around me enough and I say the right thing, he'll eventually get it. I don't know if, it would be to my benefit and the benefit of queers everywhere uh, for me to continue to see him uh, get what I want, but to try and, you know, sort of convert him into being a nicer person, or if I should just uh, dump the motherfucker already and uh, be, I don't know, be well rid of someone who clearly is not okay with the gays. It's, but the thing is, it's like it's actual for real homophobia. Like he's actually afraid. Like he's actually said, you, you know, don't ask, don't tell. Got repealed, and he's like, I don't. I'm, I'm afraid of being assaulted in the shower. Like he literally said this to me. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? 
I don't know what to do, Dan. Please help. If he's not going out there and beating up gay people, if he's not a violent gay bastard, there's hope for him. He's expressed a certain ignorance and discomfort with dudes checking out his ass in the shower and he's bought some of the religious rights rhetoric around you know open gays in the military suddenly jumping and raping defenseless marines because of course marines can't defend themselves in the shower or anywhere else all those big straight marines are delicate little flowers once you get their clothes off and they certainly aren't armed or dangerous anyway there's hope for him and you are that hope for him often what brings somebody out of hatred and prejudice that isn't toxic, that isn't violent, uh, that can be unlearned, is their first relationship with someone who challenges them on their bigotry, who says, I have black friends, to the casually racist douchebag uh, that they discover they're dating. And the, the shit you're saying about illegal immigrants is retarded. And my parents were illegal immigrants once upon a time. Shut the fuck up. And you need to stand up and say, look, I like you. I like fucking you. You're better than this. You're better than this bullshit homophobia. And I have gay friends and I'm, I want you to meet them. And you know what? Hanging out with and getting to know some of my gay friends, that's the price of admission that you're going to pay to get into my panties. Today is all about leveraging pussy, right? To make men better. So make him hang out with some of your friends and say, you know, I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt here that this is about ignorance and unfamiliarity and not about hatred and not about uh, you being an asshole. Recognizing, of course, that homophobia is uh, the, the half-sister of misogyny. And someone who is a straight male who has a problem with gay people usually has a problem with women, too. Uh, and usually their hatred uh, isn't contained just uh, in the homophobia box. It kind of spills out uh, and a lot of it gets directed at the women in their lives and the women that they're with. And you should just say that all to him and say, I have gay friends. I have queer friends. I have trans friends. You're going to meet them. And I'm not going to tell them that you're a bigot or you're a homophobe and it's their job to talk you off that bullshit ledge. I just want you to get to know them as human beings and you'll see when you get to know them as human beings, that your prejudices about queer people are as baseless and irrational as any racist white crackers prejudices about black people would be. So long as he's not beating anybody up. Work on him. And don't feel guilty about the, one of the reasons you're going to invest a little time and effort in bringing him around is that he's great in fucking bed. There's a reason uh, you're going to hang in there and hopefully redeem him and bring him around. He's worth it. So get to work on him. Sick your queer friends on him. But not in the showers. Hi, Dan. Um, <clears throat> 24-year-old straight male from a large East Coast city. Um, so listen to podcasts a lot. I hear a lot of talk about butt play, a lot of talk about, uh, anal, you know, I've definitely heard a lot about the women's guide to anal sex, all that good stuff. Um, my problem is, is that I am very into anal, um, but I have never actually been able to do it. Um, part of that has been because I have a very large penis. I'm extremely endowed. It's not so much that it's long, it's just that it's very very thick and girthy, and I have yet to find any woman that is willing to let me do that. Um, I've even been with women who have had anal sex before, 
and have just said that it's not going to happen with me. Um, there was one girl, but things ended with her. Um, I thought maybe she would be okay to try it, but uh, things ended with her before I ever got a chance. Um, you know, I, I've suggested a lot of the things that you said, you know, warming up, uh, doing blood play, maybe bring some toys into the room, obviously lube, 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 but I still have never been able to find a girl that will let me do it, not because they're not into it or because they're scared of it, because they said that it would hurt too much. Uh, I just want to see if... You know, you've ever heard of this problem that there's just maybe guys out there who just can't ever do this. So I'm not sure. Like, is this just sort of a lost cause for me? I'm just not, am I never going to be able to do this? Um, is there just something that maybe you haven't mentioned on the podcast that I don't know about? I've done a lot of research online. Everything sort of seems to mimic the same things you've said. I just want to know, is this something I should give up on? You know, it's not like my main fetish, but it's definitely something that I'm really, really, really into and that I've never been able to try. I'm going to preface this with this caveat you may not surprise a woman by shoving your dick up her ass ever even under the circumstances i'm about to to lay out for you here's what you do you tell the women that you're dating who perhaps are into anal have some experience with anal or like anal with other guys who aren't so terrifyingly endowed that you get it you like they see your dick and you're like it doesn't happen for me. I don't get to fuck butts because my dick is wide and it scares people. Uh, and I've seen bigger shit go into people in porn, but I, I get it. My dick is scary. Tell you what I'd like to do since I can't fuck your ass and I've always wanted to experience a little bit of anal. Just let me lay it across your asshole and you can clamp your thighs down and I'll kind of fuck your cheeks like titty fucking with ass, but I won't penetrate you. And you can play with your clit and we can be dirty. And that'll be this anal approximation that I'm delighted to experience. And it may be all the anal I ever get to experience. Give her an out. <laughs> Give her a way to provide you with some you know, rear end action without having to commit at the outset to shoving your big fat cock in her ass. Let her begin to experience it. it and then, you know, maybe once or twice, that's all that happens. You titty fuck her ass cheeks until you come and she'll begin to relax. She'll trust you that you're not going to leap on her. You're not going to attempt to take advantage of that situation or some limited access to her backside to try to uh, jam it in her or manipulate her in that moment into jamming it in her. And then you let her have some orgasms. You help her have some orgasms, not with your dick in her ass, but with your dick near her ass and what you may find is that she begins to relax trust you your dick becomes this less fearsome eye beam baseball bat table leg and starts to look more like something she might wanna maybe just let you put the tip in while you're doing this thing uh, where you get some anal action and she gets some anal stimulation provided by your dick being laid flat across her asshole not pointed at her asshole and it's really you have to be really careful here that you don't get into a you know a, a pile driving groove and suddenly you know you shift a bit and the angle changes and you're jamming it toward her asshole. You have to be very very careful and very very considerate when you do this. And you may find in time, as I said, she'll begin to associate your massive cock between her ass cheeks with pleasure. And she'll begin to relax and trust you and trust it more, and you may eventually get there. But it's going to be a longer hoe for you to road than uh, other guys who aren't so spectacular.
spectacularly endowed pictures or it didn't happen. Hey, Dan. My name's Alex in D.C. Um, I'm gay, and my boyfriend and I have been together about three years. Um, I've always had a little kinky side. We've kept the relationship open. Uh, he's very understanding that I have my needs, and I've been a little more experienced than he has at times, but he's not very open to it. I've tried to ease him into it, try to convince him. The one thing he keeps telling me is that he thinks it's just funny, that he's worried that if he gets into one of these BDSM or bondage scenes with me, he's going to start laughing. Now, part of it is because I'm usually the bottom, the sub, but, and that's what I prefer, but I think what I've been considering with him is maybe having me be the dominant top of him, because we do flip and do flip during normal sex, so I'm thinking if I try to be the top and show him how to do it, he might be a little bit more into it, because he's never done it before. I guess... I brought this up to him, and he just needs a little convincing or just some reassurance because he doesn't really understand the whole attitude. Even though we've watched videos, we've talked about it, and he's just kind of apathetic about it. But at the same time, I enjoy it, and I know I can get it from other people, but I really want to do it with him. So I guess my question to you is what do you think about that and can I play him this and say, hey, see, if you try it, then maybe you'll like it. Or, well, you know what, maybe I should give up and just fuck around with other people. There are two kinds of people into S&M. People who were beating off uh, to bondage scenarios or tying themselves up when they were 12, 13 years old. And people who, you know, in their 20s or 30s met somebody kinky and went there and discovered that they really kind of liked it, even though they may never have pictured themselves doing it or really enjoying it. And maybe in advance of actually jumping in and trying it, they worried that they would be laughing or find it funny or that it wouldn't really work for them. Your boyfriend could be the latter, but he's got to give it a try. As for his big fear, he'll start laughing. So what? He starts laughing. Only in bad S&M porn does everyone have to be glowering all the time and making mean face and serious master face or mistress face. Uh, in actual S&M, there is a lot of affection and laughing and more serious moments and more affectionate moments. Uh, and your boyfriend shouldn't be self-conscious about that. Since you have an open relationship, presumably there are people in your life, other people that you do this with. You have some play partners or access to them. I would encourage you to go to a couple of play parties with your boyfriend where other people are going to be engaging uh, in SM sex without your boyfriend feeling pressured to engage and without you taking part. And then maybe set up a three-way where someone who has topped you before is going to top you with your boyfriend. And I would encourage you to be blindfolded when that happens so your boyfriend doesn't feel self-conscious about you watching him. So he doesn't have to police his facial expressions or feel scrutinized in that moment. And just let him see what a real scene involving you looks like and how much pleasure you take from it without there being any pressure on him to perform or, or, or come through. And then see where it goes. But I, you know, if, if the boyfriend is listening, if you are actually going to play this for him, you should do this for him. You should go there with him. Do the do do simple stuff first. You've probably seen, you know, maybe bound gods or 
Titan Media. You've probably seen some like crazy ass varsity level SM porn and you worry that you're not going to be able to pull off a scene like that. 98% of everybody who does BDSM sex is not capable of or interested in really pulling off an extended, you know, 90 minute crazed serious space SM scene. Uh, and you don't have to feel under pressure to produce that kind of drama either. Just do a little bondage, do a little rolling around, do let, let the aggression out uh, in an erotic, constructive way in sex and maybe look to your partner's uh, BDSM buddies or play partners or other tops that he's played with for some advice and enjoy the journey. Go there. Your partner's kinks are fun and a gift to you. There's something you get to do uh, and it's going to make your sex life more interesting if you can expand your repertoire and isn't he worth it? Hey, man. Um, this is Charles from Chicago. I actually have a question about... Um, so I, I really enjoyed your show uh, where you featured Amy Lang. And I have uh, kind of a problem. Um, my, my father actually passed away a year ago. And I have a younger brother that's reaching about that age. And I was wondering, like, is it really is it my place now as the oldest uh, sibling to uh, kind of take that role and make sure that he is properly... Um, like, educated about these things um, that he might need, you know, in the coming years. He's, uh, let's see. And so the issue is also I'm not entirely um, confident that my mother and father have instilled in him um, the greatest, um, the greatest ability, like, the greatest um, confidence in, or, or attitudes about sex and love and relationships. And I was just wondering if your show would be maybe appropriate listening on the on the drive home when I pick him up from school, or how how do I, as the younger brother, or not as the younger brother, but as the older brother, kind of bring this up and um, help him understand that it is in my place? Thanks. Hi. If not you, who? Step up. Um, I'm very sorry about the loss of your dad. I'm sorry for your siblings. Sorry for your brother. And you should. Step up. You should say, this is a little awkward. I'm your brother, not your father. But I want to make sure that you're educated, that you have the info that you need uh, when you decide to become sexually active. Info dad gave me, info I don't think mom's going to give you. And so I'm going to take that burden off mom. Maybe if your mom's not crazy, you could have a conversation with mom in advance where you say, I'm going to do the sex talk or you know, the uh, sex talk addendum with my little brother uh, because I think he needs it. And then just step up and it's going to be awkward. It's awkward when dad talks to you about sex. It's going to be awkward when your brother talks to you about sex. The, uh, but if you don't push past your hesitation and your awkwardness, bad shit could happen to your brother. He could get some girl pregnant. He could get HIV. He could acquire some other sexually transmitted infection. He could get his heart stomped on in a way that uh, he may not be able to recover from. So step up. Have a talk with him. As for letting him listen to the podcast, I certainly don't think listening to the podcast will do him any harm. I think listening to the podcast and being acquainted with variance, variety, difference, different attitudes and opinions uh, is good and good for kids. So if you want to turn him on to the podcast, I would encourage you to do so. But 
you need to do more than just turn them on to the podcast. You need to uh, provide him with a few sex talks, modeled on the sex talks that uh, either your dad provided for you or that you wish your dad had provided for you. The info that you wished you'd been armed with at the beginning of your sexual life. Give that info to your brother. Hey, Dan, it's Amy Lang with Birds and Bees and Kids. And hey, I'm calling about episode 228 where the woman called in and she suspected she'd been sexually abused, but she wasn't clear. And I haven't listened to 229, so I don't know if you've got help and resources, but I just wanted to suggest that she contact RAIN, it's R-A-I-N-N dot org, and she can get referred to a trustee therapist there. You were right on the money. And then just a word about child sexual abuse, um, it doesn't always involve touching, like you said. It can involve exposure to pornography, it can involve families uh, where the adults are actively having sex in front of the kids, you know, not just that they walk in on the kids, but like performing sex acts, kind of talking like, you know, things she was sort of talking about with her mom. And it's also confusing because it can feel good. So there's a lot that goes on with child sexual abuse. And just for your listeners, if you think you were abused or you were abused, please get yourself some help. It's not something that we can recover from, you know, without help often. And especially if you're a parent, because it makes parenting around sexuality so much harder. Hi, Dan. I'm just phoning about the girl who called at the end of episode 229 about the guy, the girl who was left alone on the dance floor for 10 minutes and decided that she was better off finding somebody else and slightly defended that, saying that if you leave a girl on the dance floor, she's perfectly entitled to wander off and that, you know, oh, God, he's gone to the toilet. Surely this means he doesn't care. Sorry, the idea that women can't control their libido for more than 10 minutes because God, you know, has a chaperone in them is incredibly bloody offensive. I, the idea that we have to that men have to go around chaperoning their dates lest they wander off into the distance and find somebody else is ludicrous. Sorry, if if your date can't control herself for ten minutes, you're better off leaving her to her own bloody fate. Anyway, sorry, felt like I ran. Thanks. Hey, this is a comment for uh, the lady that has the boyfriend that doesn't want to degrade her. Um, as someone who uh, used to be totally against blowing a load in my boyfriend's mouth because I did, I did, I felt bad about it. Uh, uh, I just had to suck it up one day, and I recognized that it's something that he wants me to do. So now, instead of being concerned about degrading him, I'm I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna blow down your throat, you stupid bitch. And and sure enough, that that works for me. So just tell him to en- enjoy the degrading and uh, and spunk on down. And we're gonna leave it there. Thank you, everyone, for your calls and your comments. Two zero six two zero one two seven two zero is the number at the podcast if you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show. We got a little reader email. We don't usually do reader email, but we're going to make an exception for this. Dan, how about just one podcast where you only answer questions that take less than one minute to ask? Some of these rambling, repetitive, whiny, five-minute monologue questions bore me to death. How about a blanket two-minute cutoff on the question recorder? A listener since I got a smartphone, Gene. I think that's a really good idea. I like to have more information at my disposal uh, rather than less information. And all y'all out there should know that the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth do yeoman's work editing down a lot of the calls to the rambly five-minute monologues that you hear. You should hear them when they're 20 minutes long. Uh, But I want to do a show where everyone's question is a minute or less. And uh, I encourage uh, minute or lessers to give us a call, 206-201-2720. We'll do it three weeks out from today. A minute or less. Rehearse your call before you call. Don't call 10 times and uh, try to get it down to under a minute. Get it down to under a minute before you call. 
uh, so as not to torture the tech-savvy at-risk youth with 8 million versions of uh, one question. But minute or less, three weeks from today, 206-201-2720, and I will try to keep my responses to a minute or less. If you want to comment on today's show, you can give us a call. We try to include some comments every week from callers, but you can also comment online at thestranger.com slash lovecast, uh, where every show now has a comment thread. Thank you all very much for listening. Me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth will be back at you next week. Another installment of Savage Lovecast. Savage Lovecast.